Hello and welcome to Veterinary Journal Club. Um, we have, um, I'm, I'm really actually very excited about the show today. I know I say that a lot, but um, I have Dr. David Grant um, is here with me today and we don't have Topher producing. So apologies in advance if things aren't as perfect as they, they normally I'll try to be. be as good as he is. There, yeah, could you? Yeah, I should make you produce um, and be a first time guest. So um, Dr. Grant, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And um, maybe you could share a little bit about why you're here, how this, how this got started. Yeah. So um, I was uh, on uh, VIN one night, just uh, entertaining myself, reading, seeing if I could <laughs> learn something new, seeing nice. if I could offer some advice to help somebody else. And I went on to the emergency medicine message boards and saw a question from a third-year vet student, um, not necessarily from our college. Yeah. And I thought it was a great question because it involved something that I do. And so this student's question was, uh, she said, I'm a third-year vet student, and it's more recently come to my attention that you can have salt intoxicity from inducing emesis in dogs. And then she goes on to explain how um, she has done this in her own dogs yep. without any complications and uh, wants to understand why this may be a problem and if it really is a problem. Yeah. And so so then you looked into this a little bit more and you were like, huh, I, I've also done this. And yeah. But you said there were some other folks on the discussion that were like, yeah, you should absolutely not do this. And a couple of criticalists who said that. So that's where absolutely. you reached out to me and you were like, is this an all criticalist thing? <laughs> and, um, and, and so the way you phrased the question to me was – a little bit, it was somewhat about the salt emesis. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that, but also just in general recommendations about like, when do you recommend clients to induce emesis in their pets and, and when do you not? And I thought that would be just a really good topic for discussion. So Absolutely. we'll start, I want to start by talking about um, using salt to induce vomiting yeah. um, because that's not actually something that I've, I've done before. And it's, probably, I don't know if that's a regional difference or mm -hmm. just, you know, random chance um, that, you know, I, that's not ever something anyone taught me to use for at home uh, mm -hmm. emesis induction. It's usually going to be things like hydrogen peroxide, um, which is not recommended anymore in cats. Yeah. Um, but um, so tell me, tell me about the salt. Yeah. Inducing emesis. So I think it may be somewhat of a regional thing. Yeah. Some of the, the criticalists that decided to answer this student's um, question made the same uh, suggestion. Uh, a criticalist from California said he had never heard of it. And then another criticalist from uh, Kentucky, which is obviously much closer to us, yeah. said that, yes, that's definitely something that he has, has heard of and had experience with. Um, so I was never taught a dose um, okay. to use. I was merely told that it can work. Yeah. Um, I, my recollection is I was told to place the salt under the tongue, Okay. which... Um, seeing as I live with chihuahuas has not really been a practical <laughs> approach because uh, my like finger it. is bigger than the underside yeah. of the tongue. Um, and I forgot where I was headed. Yeah. Well, so you're, you, I, I actually ended up looking into this after you yeah. sent the email. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to learn this too. Cause I guess if this is a regional mm -hmm. thing, it's going to, it's going to come up. What I was able to find on just a quick Google search, yeah. um, one, and this was not like a medical website or anything, but this was the first thing I found that, um, was giving instructions to clients on how to induce, um, vomiting with salt. And what, oh, okay. um, what that was, there was no like dosage. It just said, um, half a teaspoon, 
just give half a teaspoon and to try to put it basically this one said like on the back it try you know tilt yeah. your dog's head back or whatever and try to put it on the back of their tongue i don't I didn't interpret that to the underside of the tongue, but now I'm maybe that's what they meant to. But mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know how precise you can be with this anyway. But yeah. um, but to do that, and then if they don't vomit within about three minutes to do it again, and if it doesn't work the second time, go to your vet. That was that was the yeah. overall summary of what I found. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you what I did. And I, I brought along some, uh, some visuals, which obviously our audience can't Ooh, see, but, but I could I, probably yeah. describe them. Yeah. And I can help describe too. Yeah. So what I actually have here is a, a demonstration that I use when I'm teaching students about fluid therapy and um, causing animals to become edematous or hypervolemic. Okay. So um, what I have here in my right hand at the okay, moment... Okay, for those of you that can't see, it looks like he's about to sell me some cocaine. It does. It looks like <laughs> a, a dime bag of cocaine. That no, is I, 100% I have no like. idea how much I don't know either, a dime bag but like based size. on TV and movies, that's, that's what right. it looks like to me. <laughs> <laughs> so what I have here is this tiny little... Uh, uh, piece of plastic wrap that's got some salt in it, table salt in it. And it's probably about the size of my pinky fingernail. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that is the amount of salt that a 10 kilogram dog consumes uh-huh. in its diet each day. Okay. Assuming it's eating a maintenance Normal diet. energy requirement. Okay. Um, and then what I have next to that is a similar bag that's about... Mm, maybe two or three thumbnails. Yeah, that's like peach so pit or it's something. probably 10 maybe times bigger. bigger. Yeah, yeah. And that is how much sodium, how much salt, as if we were to mm-hmm. equate that to sodium in milliequivalents, that a dog would receive if it were to get 50 milliliters per kilogram per day of 0.9% saline. Okay. Okay. So lots of people run maintenance fluids yep. using saline. Using non-maintenance fluids. That's but right. Yeah. <laughs> so the point being to show that if you do that, you yeah. are giving animals massively yes. greater amounts of sodium than they actually need. Yep. And it's rarely a problem because they eliminate the sodium. Yeah, they have kidneys. <laughs> um, but this is a handy tool to show because um, the amount of salt that I give my chihuahuas to make them vomit when they mm-hmm. do naughty things as they do... <laughs> is somewhere between these two bags. Okay. So the biggest bag, the bigger bag here um, that equates to saline as a maintenance infusion um, is a- actually exactly a teaspoon. Okay, so gotcha. the most I would say I've ever given my chihuahuas is half of a teaspoon. Okay, yeah. And um, I either do try to stick it under their tongue if I can without their little pinchers getting me, um, or I will stick it in their buccal pouch. Yep. And if I can't do that, then I'll just get it anywhere in their mouth that I can't. And then I hold their mouth shut. Uh So I'm not actually, I'm discouraging them from swallowing it because I'm preventing their tongue from flipping the the salt back. Um, But trying to just get that hyperosmotic and nauseating feeling of salt in their mouth. And I'll stop there and see what questions you have. Okay, yeah. So I I did some math and some sleuthing myself. So once I found this like half a teaspoon, um, you know, per dog, Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, what is that? Like, I don't I don't know what half a teaspoon is in like medical um, in the medical sense either. So, but it's really easy. Google is a wonderful thing, and so I was able to. um, And I've done this before when I wanted to convert you know table salt into you know numbers that we talk about, whether it's millimoles or milliequivalents, things like that. And so essentially. Um, one teaspoon of table salt is going to be equivalent to about a hundred millimoles or milliequivalents of salt. And so half of that is about 50. And so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's not Not as much much as I would be. I I certainly wouldn't be worried about, um, that 
causing salt toxicity right. in the typical patient, right. right? In the average patient. Um, and so if that is truly enough to induce vomiting, then I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it. Now, there's all sorts of situations where you can say, well, this, this can be problematic. Sure. And I did also find a number of case reports, um, largely in, in human medicine, of people of like fatalities from people using salt water um, to try to induce emesis. And so I'm curious if that, mm. like if that has something to do with it, the fact that rather than just putting table salt more concentrated just in the mouth versus drinking salt water, um, it, because obviously drinking seawater or salt water, um, and, and this was fun math that I remember doing as mm -hmm. a resident, you can do the math of figuring out what's the maximum amount of salt your kidneys can um, can excrete what's in, versus the water, and you can do the experiment and, and, and prove math. math mathematically why you can't survive on seawater but that that's maybe another show mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. but so i'm wondering if 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 that using salt water is a much more dangerous approach than just using the table salt itself maybe because you take more of it like just inadvertently you're going to drink a lot more or it's less controlled i didn't go so far as to do all of that math and see what people like what volumes people were drinking and mm -hmm. I couldn't find a recommendation for using salt water um, only just you know table salt and in, in like you know half teaspoons and things like that so um so I wasn't sure how much of that was um was part of the difference or where we'd worry right. I mean salt toxicity is a real concern Absolutely. in certain circumstances and I've seen a handful of those cases myself over the years never from a client inducing emesis with salt um but again that's, I've also not knowingly had a patient come in with with that right. history um, but it's usually if if um you know the dog got into homemade play-doh or some of those um, paintballs used to be um, really high in like it, i think it depends on who right. the manufacturer is but so I've, I've seen some of those over the years and then plenty of other just hypernatremic patients um, and and that can certainly be worrisome absolutely but so here's my question yeah um how effective has this been in in your experience with your chihuahuas uh, 100% effective. Oh, that's so, good. <laughs> so I, we've probably done this uh, six times. Oh, wow. Two okay. different chihuahuas. Uh, my wife, who is uh, an architect, not a veterinarian, mm -hmm. um, is typically the one that does it because gotcha. uh, it seems to happen when I'm not home and she likes chocolate. <laughs> okay. So ah. you can put two and two together <laughs> okay, there. I see. <laughs> but she's a wonderful woman. And so she um, she does this. And, um, you know, we, we talk about how much to use. And typically yeah. uh, she'll just take a, a small a small spoon on much it's it's less than a teaspoon yeah. um and mix some water with uh -huh. the with the salt just to make it clump up better okay and so then, like just enough to make it pasty that's right gotcha. make kind of a paste out that of it that makes sense and then slip it in in their mouth and hold their mouth shut uh i think once she did have to give a, a, second, a second dose round. so possibly the dog got um a full teaspoon which for my chihuahuas would be probably about twice their yeah. daily salt recommended yeah. salt intake yeah um and it's been very effective. And this yeah. has been for, for ingesting chocolate and one time for ingesting uh, xylitol gum, gum with xylitol in it. Um, having said that, both of my dogs were healthy to start sure. with, yeah. um, weren't dehydrated, didn't uh, have any ongoing other water losses right. to be concerned about. Yeah. Um, no renal impairment no. or any reason why they couldn't handle the extra salt load. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm always... <laughs> So that, this basically, this discussion one, I learned a lot, so that was fun. Um, but it also stimulated sort of the follow-up question of, like, when is it appropriate to even induce vomiting at home, That's you right. know, versus, 
this is this is not a good idea. And so obviously you're a veterinarian and the rules are slightly different, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you what I'd be comfortable doing myself at home versus what I'd be comfortable recommending a client right. do. Um, so that and that's the other part of this that I thought would be really interesting because um, inducing vomiting in in my experience has it's a mixed bag, right? Like right. how effective something um, will be. And generally speaking, when I've recommended inducing vomiting at home, which I have, and we'll talk a little bit more later about like, when is that a good idea and when do you do it? But um, it's definitely mixed results. And probably even more often than that is we'll get people calling because they, they looked it up and they tried it themselves and they said, hey, I found to try hydrogen peroxide. It's not working. <laughs> and so that one's definitely... Um, inconsistent, I right. would say, but so are our medications. Like, right. Absolutely. You come in and, and I have drugs that I can use and I would say they're probably better. They're certainly better than hydrogen peroxide. Um, but they're not a hundred percent effective. And I'm assuming salt isn't a hundred percent effective as well. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody's done that study. I didn't, I didn't dig that deep, but, um, my assumption would be, you know, nothing is going to be perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, not even apomorphine. No, definitely not apomorphine. I've definitely had plenty of cases over the years with like, ah, this is so frustrating. Um, I do have some tips and tricks on that and, and I'm happy to talk about yeah. how I can increase the chance of those things being effective. And then I can also share about the things, sort of hilarious things that I've seen people try that I think are, are sort of silly and not likely to help. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I'd be curious to see, you know, what your thoughts are on some of those, but yeah, in general, I, I'm usually going to say I would prefer an animal to come into the Absolutely. hospital um, for induction of vomiting versus doing it at home. Like that's always almost that's always going to be my preference. Um, there are specific circumstances where I would say inducing vomiting at home is a reasonable option, is a reasonable alternative. Um, so, like, what are what are the situations that you think of and say this this is something we need to have in our back pocket? Sure. So situations I've encountered where I have recommended it um, is occasionally we'll get uh, geriatric or disabled clients mm -hmm. that are unable to bring their animal for veterinary care and they know that their dog or they have actually witnessed their dog ingesting toxic substances such as um, xylitol mm -hmm. containing products, um, ethylene glycol, mm. um, chocolate. That one doesn't usually concern me quite as much because right. my observation is it's not nearly as toxic yeah. as depending most on how much appreciate it to me. Yeah, it yes. got, but yeah, for sure. Yes. Uh, and so they've not been able to to come or uh, someone actually lives more than exactly. two hours from veterinary care. Yep. And at that point, most toxic substances will have largely left the stomach. Yep. Uh, so those are really the situations where yeah. I have recommended it to clients or at least if they've asked about it, I've Right, guided like, them to an help option. them do it and then still suggested even if you're successful I still want you trying to come to exactly. see me. Yeah and that's generally I mean that those are going to be the scenarios if for whatever reason the client cannot get their pet to veterinary care quickly um, then it, I mean it's worth a shot right like sure it's I better mean, than dying in my now mind. Now it exactly now that may depend a little bit on what the substance is yes. um, and so like you said if it's like well he had one of those fun size packs of M&M's like, <laughs> You're probably good, yep. right? You're probably okay. Versus, yeah, he got into, you know, down south, um, you know, Sago Palm. Ooh, ooh, let's, That's right. One, I'm just like, I, you need to come in anyway. There are certain things that I'm like, I, you just need to get here. Mm -hmm. For me, though, the, the thing I always have to factor in, like you mentioned, people who live far away, um, 
I, I'm doing like that quick calculation in my head, like, okay, how far away are you and how much is this going to delay you getting here? So, and, and this is a judgment call and I don't know, I probably do it differently every time too. Um, but if it's something I'm really worried about, what I will often tell people, okay, we time matters here. So number one thing is you need to get to your ASAP. So if you don't know where your hydrogen peroxide is, skip this step. Yeah. Like if you can't tell me right now where it is, if you're going to spend five, 10 minutes looking for it, that's wasted time. Um, and I'm going to want you to give um, the dose of hydrogen peroxide and then get in the car immediately. Don't wait for the vomiting, bring towels and blankets with you. He's going to puke in the car and too bad. Um, you know, things like that. If it really is urgent and I need to get you here really quickly, if you're 15 to 20 minutes away, like I skip that step because the 15 to 20 minutes it's going to take right. you to do all of this, you're here. And then I can have things ready and I, we can, we can get stuff going pretty quickly. Like if an animal shows up, I can have apomorphine in their vein in usually a matter of a couple of minutes. Um, so, so I'm always trying to balance out the time it's going to take an untrained, you know, right. per, non, non-medical person to try to give an oral, like, you know, nasty substance to their pet. Um, and I'm just like imagining all the times I've been lucky. I haven't had to do this. Um, it's cause I have cats and cats are smarter than dogs, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't had to do any at home emesis before. And, um, but I just imagine in my head, like the chaos that would be going on because you've, especially with like non-trained people who are panicking because their animal just ate some poison and they you know, I can imagine spouses yelling at one another. I told you the hydrogen peroxide was there. No, not, you know, I'm just like picturing all the yeah, bickering. And I, and I the hadn't chaos. really thought about that, but I, th- I think you're right. That's, that's oh, true. I picture so much of that. And so, <laughs> um, again, if they're two hours away or if they say there's just no way I've absolutely said, do these things, um, try this, you know, try that. Um, and I, 100%. I have no qualms about recommending it if needed. But I do, if, if they are able to come in, they'd have to be pretty far from veterinary care for me to not say, just skip this step and come on in. Um, because most things, the time that it would take them to do that is minutes wasted that I, I could probably do it quicker. But two right. hours for certain things, like eh, it's probably worth if you can give that a shot and then, you know, have them puke in the car on the way and then we'll finish up when you get here. So it's a judgment call. Um, I yeah. don't know what's always right, but you just do the best you can in each situation. So we, we talked about, you know, the potential, the theoretical potential for, for salt toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'd probably like to clarify a few more things on that. Um, and we talked about the disruption and timing of getting yeah. veterinary care if a, if a pet owner were to stop and try to induce emesis on their own. But what yeah. other concerns do you have about owners inducing emesis or or even us as veterinarians inducing emesis? Oh, what, what, what concerns do you have for the patient? For sure. Well, I mean, most of the time, if I'm inducing emesis, this is for um, something they ate relatively recently. As you said, the more time goes on, the less likely this is going to be beneficial because um, either, you know, the toxin has been largely absorbed or it's moved out of the stomach. Um, So most of the patients that I'm inducing emesis in, um, there hasn't been time for them to have any signs of that toxicity. Uh, And so I don't have major concerns about things like aspiration, right? Like if a patient is mentally inappropriate or they're becoming dull, then we have to worry like, can they guard their airway if I'm going to induce vomiting? Are they sitting up? Those those types of things in which, um, you know, inducing emesis, emesis in the hospital or not is contraindicated. Um, so those, those would be the situations where I'd start to get a little itchy, but that's rarely the case if vomiting is still on my, my to-do list um, because – Again, there's there's exceptions for sure, but most of the time, if they're in that window where vomiting is helpful, they're probably also not dramatically affected by said toxin. Um, one, you know, obviously 
you have to weigh that, you know, what are the potential risks of aspiration or, you know, I guess esophagitis, gastric irritation, things like that, which are super low on my list versus how toxic is this thing? You know, um, like I said, the, a little bit of chocolate, I agree with you. Like, you know, unless it's like powdered baker's chocolate, um, they usually are fine. Even those ones are, are ultimately fine. They probably need a little support, but like the average dog that gets into chocolate is like, yeah, he might have some chocolatey diarrhea for a yep. bit. <laughs> Bummer. And good breath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the only vomit that ever <laughs> smells good. Um, you know, marijuana toxicities are fortunately usually just fine. Yep. Um, and um, so I, I'm just like, Meh. It, yeah. it's probably going to be okay. Interesting. <laughs> like, don't, Interestingly, don't yeah, worry too much about it. Since this is, since you call this a, a journal club, yeah. a recent article just came out about brodificum. Yeah. No, not brodificum, but oh. um, bromethylene toxicity uh-huh. Uh-huh. in dogs. And um, and this this relates to inducing vomiting, which is that the majority of them, mm-hmm. even without inducing emesis, um, had very good outcomes. Yes. In other words, the dose that they right. ingested was not enough to really cause problems, yeah. which is an, another reason to, question whether an owner should induce vomiting at home is mm-hmm. whether is that beneficial? is it really worth it because maybe the dog didn't actually ingest it enough yeah. to be toxic and that's that's hard to establish with an owner for sure um, what the dose ingested it, that was. is we always try um and i always train like my you know house officers and things so, like try to figure out what the maximum possible like be as generous as you have to be about like let's assume they ate all of it and then you know kind of work back from there um because that is always a challenge um especially with things yeah um with bromethylene rat poison I'm like i don't know it's been out there for 10 years and yeah. <laughs> all of those things i've also i've that the that study had i would say or the paper had a that matches with anecdotally what I've experienced as well. Um, But I have seen a couple cases that did get clinical and it's one that scares you, right? Like they're all, you know, how how well does this plan fail if if we're wrong about this? Um, But yeah, you do have to kind of weigh all of those factors together. And like you said, who's the client? How do they sound? Do they sound panicky? Um, Do they sound like pretty calm? Like, hey, you know, what can I do? Those, for me, those things factor in when I'm on the phone with somebody. They sound panicky. Let's skip this step and just, you know, come on in. You're going to feel better anyway um, if you can. But if you're like, I, I don't have a car or I can't drive at night or I can't afford this, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And this, this is how we're going to figure that out. And, you know, now there's, there's a lot of like for common things like chocolate, you can go online and find the chocolate toxicity calculators. Sure. And, um, you know, again, with Google, you, it's so easy to look up, like, tell me what your dog ate and I can find the information. You don't have to have the package anymore if you know roughly what it is. Um, so those things are, are certainly helpful. Um, so the, the biggest frustration I have with inducing vomiting clinically is just when it doesn't work. Right. That's right. Yeah, you have um, three doses of apomorphine in, and you're yep. like, ah, <laughs> now what am some I going to do? Things that I, I will say, mistakes that I see made when it comes to oh, like, can I jump in and be Topher oh, for a minute? Yeah, be Topher. I'm realizing I'm yeah. probably late being yeah. Topher. <laughs> um, so what is bromethylene? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, one of the, uh, um, the rodenticides out there. So I, I, when I talk to students, I talk about the different, um, rat poisons that are out there. And, um, I feel like still most people think of the vitamin K antagonists as the major, when you say rat poison, people think bleeding and they think vitamin K antagonists. Um, but bromethylene is not one of those. Um, and it will cause, um, uncoupling of oxidative phosphorylation and lead to neurologic signs. So, um, and that one doesn't have a nice antidote like the vitamin K antagonists do, where you can just get vitamin K and then the colocalciferol or the, the vitamin D, um, rat poisons or the, that sort of 
the three broad classes of rat poisons. There's others out there, but those are the big ones that I've encountered over the years. So, um, yeah. And that's the, that's the downside of the bromethylene is that there's not like, Oh, I can just give it some vitamin K or, or some other antidote per se. Um, so GI decontamination is our best treatment against bromethylene. Um, yeah. I don't know we, if we've, we've also we've also been saying uh, emesis, which I'll clarify just yeah. for our, for our first year students maybe yeah. uh, means vomiting, uh, and then we were starting into into apomorphine and some tips on yeah. how to make that more effective, and uh, we should clarify what apomorphine is maybe. Yeah. So. Um, so, you know what? You're going to take this one. You're the okay. best here. There you go. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, I actually don't remember the mechanism of action of apomorphine, um, but it is a medication that we can give multiple multiple methods, um, either intravenously or some people will dilute it and administer it intraocularly, intraconjunctively. Yeah. Um, but I'll be honest, I don't, I don't remember the, the category of drug that it is or the mechanism of action. So I am pretty sure, um, but not 100% sure, but um, we can always Google this too. And so, so that's yeah. okay. It's good for you guys to remember that you're not going to remember every little detail of everything out there. And, and remembering, memorizing mechanisms of action is, is not generally all that important for your day-to-day mm-hmm. use. But um, so uh, that one is going to, I believe, work on the muscarinic receptors in the CT, in the, in the chemoreceptor CRT. trigger zone. Okay. Um, but yeah, feel free to Google that and, and verify that or tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but it is a centrally acting um, emetic and it's going to work very quickly. As you said, so you giving it IV for a long time, you um, it's hard to get that in a, a formulation that is sterilely prepared for IV use. So a lot of people will get the tablets and then you can crumble it up and as you said, put it on the conjunctive of the eye. And I've seen that work for sure. And it's kind Absolutely. of amazing because it works really quickly. It just kind of stinks because you have to put little bits of crumbled <laughs> tablet in a patient's <laughs> conjunctiva. Um, so I definitely like the the IV formulation better when when I have it available. Um, the, the trick that I recommend for people is this drug works very quickly. It has a a rapid onset of action and a very short half-life. And so the the thing that I will see happen is people will give a dose of apomorphine, however they give it, usually IV, and then they wait like 10 minutes. And then when it didn't work after 10 minutes, they give another dose. The problem is the half-life of apomorphine is short enough that if you wait 10 minutes and give another dose, that dose is probably also going to be ineffective. The reason to stack those doses on top of each other is just because, okay, so if I give a dose of apomorphine IV and the blood levels get up to, you know, wherever they get and it's not effective, my thought is, is it not high enough that they reach high enough concentration in the brain to cause the vomiting? And so what I want to do is give it two or three minutes. And if no vomiting happens, then I'm going to give another dose right then because I'm trying to get the blood levels higher than they were in the hopes that it will it will work. It's sort of um, lidocaine is another drug like that, that people will give a dose. It didn't work. And then we wait 10, 15 minutes and give it. Well, that, that dose isn't going to work either because it's got such a short half-life. So apomorphine, I give a dose. If in three minutes, I usually actually have the dose, the second dose pulled up because you have to buy the whole vial normally. I have the second dose ready to go. And so if they don't show, if they don't vomit within that two to three minutes, boom, another dose. And I have much better success with the second dose when I realized I needed to give it very quickly. Even 10 minutes is too long in my experience. Yeah, I think I've... Fallen, fallen victim to that mistake. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, so it's really, that's the other key is if it's going to work, it will, and I have video after I love, I love t- for some reason, weirdly taking videos <laughs> of patients that we give apomorphine and show like, this is how fast it mm-hmm. works. Like within 30 seconds, they're drooling, they're lip smacking, they're looking around, getting really uncomfortable. I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to work. And if it doesn't, I'm like, hurry, hurry, give some more now while there's still some effect. 
Um, but I've seen people do things like push on their stomach. <laughs> um, uh, somebody was telling me just the other day, spinning the animal around in a chair, I guess, cause trying to make it dizzy. Um, and I was like, that's not how these drugs work. You're not going to enhance, um, by pushing on the stomach again, it's a centrally acting right. emetic. So pushing on the stomach isn't necessarily going to help. It just seems sort of weird. Um, uh, what I try to do though, is just minimize stimulant, right? Like, cause if I think about myself and the times when I've felt nauseated, I can sometimes will myself like, nope, nope, I don't want to, to a point. Um, so I just like leave them be, let them, let them vomit. Don't distract them in any way, shape or form. At least that's how I think about it. There's no science behind that, but, um, but spinning in a chair and pushing on their stomach seems sort of silly yeah. to yeah. me. Um, and, and borderline dangerous on the spinning in the chair right. thing. I was like, is somebody sitting with them, holding them? And then, you know, they might vomit first. I don't really know. Um, but yeah. So stacking the doses though, for sure, I think is important. Yeah. Some, the people, other thing, some people talk about feeding them prior to to, yeah. uh, to uh, expand their gastric volume. What do you think about that? I never do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, it makes some sense in my head if like he swallowed an earring and I want to get the earring mm -hmm. up. Um, that that makes sense to me. And like I want something to kind of bulk up and yeah. hopefully it will bring that earring with. Um, but I've also seen plenty of animals like vomit, vomit, and then they're like dry heaving like everything that's big enough in their stomach to come up has come up. That's right. And so I, I don't, I don't routinely, I, again, if you do like, sure, I, I think it's unlikely to be harmful as long as it doesn't delay giving, you know, giving the apomorphine or whatever you're going to give them. But I'm like, yeah, so I don't routinely give them food first. Um, the other thing that people do is they give apomorphine and then when they've done all their vomiting, they give, Meropitant or some other anti-vomiting medication, which I've always found kind of silly too, because again, it's got a super short half-life. Mm -hmm. So by the time the, the meropitant is kicking in, the apomorphine has gone and right. that animal's fine. Um, so I don't routinely give an anti-nausea um, after inducing vomiting unless like a while later they still seem nauseated, then it seems reasonable. But I like, I know people that give apomorphine and then like 10 minutes later, like boom, before that they've even had a chance to assess the patient and that just seems silly for the patients that were fine beforehand. Um, and if they were vomiting beforehand, I don't induce vomiting. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah I just, so those are just some things that I, I've seen happen really commonly. Absolutely. And they, to me, they just, they don't, there's not a good physiologic explanation for them. And based on what I understand about like the pharmacokinetics of, of apomorphine, that doesn't really make sense. Now, some of the other ones, maybe like if, you know, the dog got a bunch of hydrogen peroxide beforehand and maybe that one you'd be more worried about, you mm -hmm. know, persistent signs of nausea afterwards. Sure. Right. Um, but just routinely giving it after inducing emesis, I, I don't. Um, I'm like, he'll be fine for 30 minutes. Like he'll, you know, he's not going to learn his lesson, but, no. <laughs> but you know what? He's okay. He'll, he'll yeah. be okay for a bit. Um, and then they're always sedate afterwards because it is also sedating, which is kind of nice sometimes That's right. <laughs> just like, just chill out for a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those, those are some of, you know, my tips and tricks. And then if it's something that's really toxic and I'm, this is a really bad thing, like 
high fatality rate with this toxin, like ethylene glycol would be one of those. Well, it'd be one that would fall in the high fatality, not necessarily one that I would follow up with this next step. Um, but like sago palm is a classic example that I would see a lot in Florida. And I would follow these up with gastric lavage. Mm -hmm. um, and because I'm like, this is such a toxic substance that I need to get every little bit out that I can. So I would start with inducing vomiting. Um, and that usually helps to confirm like, yep, there's some sago seeds in there. Um, and then I would follow up with lavage. And of the cases I saw of sago palm, those are the only ones I can remember where we did really good GID contamination of the only ones that I can remember remember doing well because mm -hmm. that's such an awful awful one it's such an ugly plant too i don't understand yes, why absolutely. people like those <laughs> they're expensive they're expensive like this ornamental plant i'm like but it's ugly anyway <laughs> um don't like those anything in the cycad family um you can look that up too but look up the pictures if you like them that's totally fine just keep your dogs away from them um, are there any other times like that you've used gastric lavage or uh, or other mechanisms to get whatever it is out Hmm. I sometimes use alternative and uh, alternative emetics because yeah. I haven't had salt or apomorphine. Okay. Um, don't know if that's where oh, sure. yeah. you want to go. Um, yeah. I can remember one time my dog got into xylitol gum when I was in the hills of, of North Carolina and mm -hmm. I had my, my little veterinary kit with me that I keep because we're out in the middle of nowhere. And, Smart. um, fortunately I did have morphine. So I gave him oh, yeah. some IV morphine and multiple opioids given IV can induce vomiting yeah. in, in a good percentage of, of dogs and cats. Yeah. Um, did I, it work? It did. It did, fortunately. So here's my anecdotal observation yeah. on opioids and vomiting. I'm curious to see your thoughts since you brought that up. I find that animals that are not currently experiencing pain and are given an opioid are more likely to vomit than animals that are experiencing pain that you give an opioid to tend to not vomit. Absolutely. Okay, you've ex you've observed Completely that as well, and it just makes that. sense to me, right? Like you have these receptors that are being upregulated in pain, and and but they're not upregulated when they're not painful, and therefore the morphine is free, or whatever the opioid is, is free to then cause the the emetic response Absolutely. also in the brain. Yeah, cool. So yes. I've also experienced that, and I'm like, I don't worry about it in my patients in the ICU that are experiencing pain. Just give it; they don't vomit. But if you're using it as a pre-med for anesthesia, like they frequently vomit. So yeah, opioids yeah. are a great option. Yeah. I, I, I think it's some form of tachyphylaxis, but yeah. um, oh, seems a little strange for a na naive animal taking a medication. But um, anyhow, yes, yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, I guess alpha-2 agonists, yep. um, especially for cats, yes. um, would be uh, other emetics that can be used Absolutely. and quite, quite effective in cats. Yeah. So um, there have been several recent studies that have come out on dexmedetomine, particularly in cats. I Xylazine, I actually mm -hmm. have had good luck with um, um, in cats just because they tend not to respond as well to apomorphine. And again, um, hydrogen peroxide is not something we recommend using in cats. But cats are tougher for sure, mm -hmm. um, in my experience. Like they just don't want to vomit um, Unless, of course, they're coughing up a hairball on your carpet, um, then they definitely do. But um, in a hospital setting, cats are, are tougher. Mm -hmm. um, uh, also, I don't know if anybody's done a comparison study of dogs versus cats, but anecdotally, I would say yeah. cats are tougher. But yeah, dexmedetomidine is one. Um, xylazine in the same class, obviously. Um, so those are good ones. What else? What other ones have we used? Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you make of these reports of esophagitis, esophageal burns and ulcers with hydrogen peroxide used for as an, as an emetic. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense that 
hydrogen peroxide would cause damage. Why would cats be more susceptible than dogs? I don't have a good reason for that other than cats tend to be smaller than dogs and the volume that people are giving on like a per weight basis is potentially a lot more. Um, because I, if anything, in my experience, cats are less sensitive in general to developing or less likely in general to develop GI ulcers and things like that than dogs. So I can't physiologically explain why they would be more sensitive to hydrogen peroxide. Um, so I suspect that that's just a matter of it's one really hard to fight with cats giving them high, and I can just imagine <laughs> how, you know, I don't know how like messy that would be. Cats. Oh yeah. It sounds terrible. Um, and so if it's just, they end up getting like such a large volume, um, and that becomes the issue. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, uh, similarly, yeah. I also wonder if uh, I, I would assume that people were using 3% hydrogen peroxide yeah. that you can get at the store, but you know, there is the potential that someone could have been using a higher oh, concentration. I, um, my uh, mother-in-law is a chemist. And so, we do some little chemistry experiments for fun I at the house it. sometimes. And so You're I, poor pets. So, so I have 20% hydrogen peroxide oh, okay. in my house, which okay. I'm sure would, yeah, that would just wipe out the issue. gut of any yeah. animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, this is one of those things if... I were in the situation, I'm on the phone with a client, they're out there three hours away, it's their cat and it got into something awful, um, you know, whatever you want that to be. And all they had was hydrogen peroxide. Heck yeah, give it a shot. Yeah. Like that's how I would, I'd be like, okay, what else, what else do you have? Or, you know, in a cat, you don't have anything. Now on paper, if you guys look at recommendations, it's not going to tell you, it's going to tell you just don't do that. But if your choice is do nothing and just the cat very likely will die or try something that might work and might cause these other problems. Like, I don't know. I mean, tell the client, like, here are the things that could happen with us. But given the situation, I think it's worth giving it a shot. You know, you do yeah. the best you can. So I, I would totally recommend it if I have that, I had no yeah. other choice. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's the point I think that I wanted to get across for this talk was uh, I'm not a fan of saying always do this, sure. never do that because life is messy Absolutely. <laughs> and, and to say that you should never, ever use salt because that dog once had salt toxicity because of it. So no dogs ever can be, can be given salt to induce emesis. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And again, when I do the math and I figure out how much they're getting, and like I said, the examples you brought for like comparing this to how much you get in a day. Now, if you have a dog with chronic kidney disease mm -hmm. and you give it this low, a bunch of salt is maybe that's not as safe. So if you can get brief bits of information before, you know, recommending these things, but even if you don't, if you try that and it doesn't go well, you're like, I was doing the best I could in the circumstances. That's right. And that's all anyone can ask of you. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so try to avoid, in my opinion of having hard and fast rules that you can never, ever, ever do this. Uh, you can, you always, always, always have to do it this way. You have to, there's, there's some room for nuance in wow. life. Um, there's some exceptions, like never, ever, ever give a cat Tylenol. Like just right. don't do that. That's fine. We, we've got that. We're all on board there. Like there are some, some things that are, are always and never, but very few, very That's few right. and far uh, between. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, any, any final thoughts on vomiting? <laughs> just, um, um, yeah, it's, it's a, sometimes it's beneficial, I guess there's, yeah, there's the, the way to sum it up. I find it really satisfying, like inducing sex, <laughs> successfully inducing vomiting in animals, especially in cats. Yeah, but I have some good videos. Um, I need to like splice those together. It's just like this, this collage of like puking animals. That's right. I actually do have quite a bit. I did a, a talk several years ago. My sister, when, when my nieces and nephews were in elementary school, mm -hmm. they're all in high school now, but um, when they were in elementary school, they had like a, you know, 
uh, career day type thing. And so my sister was like, hey, you want to come give a talk? And I was like, okay, but like, what can I do for like fourth graders that they're going to actually get into? And, and so one of the things I did was I had videos of animals vomiting and um, the kids loved it. We were set up in the library for mm-hmm. my presentation. So every time the video would come up, there'd be this uproar from the student. <laughs> they they had so much fun with that. And then the the, the teachers, you know, these out they're just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, what have you done to us? That's right. <laughs> but um, but it was fun. So I, I was like, I'm an adult and I find this entertaining. Absolutely. So there's there's no chance in, in in the world that these kids are not gonna love this. But I anyway. Pa- I paid extra money to have fluorescent pink poop published in color in a journal article one Heck time yeah, man. just Dope. because it was fluorescent okay. pink. Tell me, tell me about this. Yeah. Okay, um, just side note. Yeah. We, this occurred here probably 10 years ago. We had a, a dog, um, come in. It had just been to its referring veterinarian. Uh, when the owner got home, they had noticed that the dog was walking around kind of drunk, oh. took it to their veterinarian. Their veterinarian was immediately concerned of acute ethylene glycol and oh. intoxication, which seemed quite reasonable. Um, and the dog came here and, and certainly did seem intoxicated and um, had a positive um, rapid ethylene glycol test. Um, but the dog had been given uh, diazepam okay. by its veterinarian, which contains propylene glycol uh-huh. and can make that oh, test yeah, falsely yeah, yeah. positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we went ahead and um, uh, gave the dog formethylpyrazole and fluids mm-hmm. overnight. And the next morning, the dog seemed fine, but I felt duty-bound as sort of the supervisor to examine the dog and make sure nothing else was wrong with it. Yeah. And during my neurologic exam, the dog defecated a pile of soft-serve fluorescent pink feces. And the uh, intern veterinarian who had been caring for the dog mm-hmm. all night and did a wonderful job said, hmm, that smells like latex paint. Oh. And somebody then said, wait a minute, you think that could be... No, actually, that's not what happened. The dog, they smelled the latex paint. And I said, well, call the owner and ask him if they have pink latex paint. Yeah. And so they called the owner. And I was told that the owner just did this on the phone. Paintballs! <laughs> and he went out to his garage. And oh. the dog, it was a pug dog. The dog had chewed into oh. a bag of pink paintballs and devoured them and uh, and ended up intoxicated from um, trying to remember which... Uh, Which constituent is a glycol. Yeah. Um, made the dog. Uh, there's Some probably sort of polypropylene glycol in it, propylene glycol, sorbitol. Um, and so the dog was just intoxicated from that, but had well, that's very fortunate. Feces. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> so you guys published that as a case report. We did mostly that's, just to because it was fun. So you could there. get hot pink poop in the in <laughs> the right. literature. That's amazing. Well, that's a happier ending than if it had been ethylene glycol. Absolutely. Usually. So um, I have not had to deal with a lot of ethylene glycol being in Florida for previous eight years, and we've had right. some some frustrating cases. So that might be another show. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have to talk about that. Um, I'm not thrilled about having to deal with ethylene glycol again in my life because it sucks. No, I didn't deal with it in Florida, but as soon as I came here, I did. Yep. Yep. And it's it's cold and gross here sometimes. So I get it. Um, well, David, thank you so much oh, for coming for and chatting. Um, I just, when you sent the email, I was like, this this would be such an, a great topic for people to just sort of consider the, the ins and outs of ins and outs. That's um, right. <laughs> so, um, yep, I'll be here all week. Thanks. Um, so <laughs> thanks again, um, for being here and hopefully we'll, we'll have you back, um, to chat about something else next time. Sounds great. Excellent.